Coming up, we first have to talk about the D-backs win against the Miami Marlins in game one. And then we're talking to Sully Baseball about the Mets combined no-hitter and so much more. We're talking about all that for you next. You are Locked On Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked On Dimebacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Miller Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer. So please go check out my website, MillerThomas24.myportfolio.com. On there, you can see all my latest work from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. If you want to see more content by me, just follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account, or just look up Locked on Dimebacks on both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. And of course, thank you for making Locked on Dimebacks your first listen every day. I would not be able to do this podcast without you, my loyal listeners, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. It's free and available on all platforms, so please continue to tell your friends. We're talking to Sully Baseball today about the combined no-hitter and a larger discussion about how frontline starters and starting pitchers are being used in baseball in general. But before we get there, we first have to talk about the D-backs win against the Miami Marlins in Game 1 because the Marlins came in, or I guess they didn't come into Arizona. We came into Miami. We came into, uh, what do we call, South Beach. Uh, the, the the palm trees, we got palm trees in Arizona too, but they're different kind of palm trees in Miami because they actually get to see water and hydration, which, which they typically don't see here in Arizona. The palm trees usually here are probably uh, pretty thirsty and pretty dry, but the ones out in Miami are very hydrated and the D-backs came in on this trip very hydrated because they beat the Dodgers in a series, and they should have beat the St. Louis Cardinals, but their bullpen blew the most recent game on Sunday, and this game today, I'm recording this 7.33 p.m. on Monday. The D-backs offense looked really good. Their starting pitching looked really good, and we're going to discuss all that. But Monday's game was kind of a microcosm of what we saw Sunday because the bullpen once again tried to come in and just ruin the day, ruin the night for the D-backs because the D-backs were in line to win another game, another dominant start by Zach Gallen. It looks like the D-backs were in prime position to win the first game of the series, something that they didn't do against the LA Dodgers when they got a complete game shut out by Walker Buehler, and they didn't do that against the St. Louis Cardinals either when they almost got no hit by whoever was starting that day for the St. Louis Cardinals. So for once, the D-backs offense started off hot against Pablo Lopez of all people. If you guys didn't know, we discussed this on uh, yesterday's pod, I believe. Pablo Lopez came into the game against the Arizona Dimebacks as arguably the best pitcher, not in the National League, but in baseball. He's been that good this season. Led the entire Major League Baseball Association in ERA. It was like a .39 entering the day. His ERA plus was like over 1,000. It was like 23 strikeouts to four walks. Insane stuff what Pablo Lopez has been able to do this season. But the D-backs were able to get to him early. And thank God they did because their bullpen tried to blow it late. We saw Zach Allen have another great start. And he came into this game making his fourth start of the season. Of course, everyone's saying... If Zach Gallen can get back to the form that we saw in 2019 and 2020, maybe the D-backs have a chance of being competitive this season. And so far, not just Zach Gallen, but Merrill Kelly, Madison Bumgarner, the entire starting pitching staff has looked really good. Madison Bumgarner 
came into Monday's game, the first game of the series, and had another fantastic start. 6.1 innings pitch, five hits, two earned runs, five strikeouts, and it was another one of those games where he looked great, but unfortunately, the bullpen couldn't exactly help him out when he needed to because he did get a great defensive stop. Earlier in the game, I believe it was a sixth inning where he had a couple of people on and he got that line out by Christian Walker who caught in and then threw it over to Nick Ahmed for the double play. So the defense was able to help out Zach Gallon, but that was probably where we start to see the cracks in the starting pitching armor for Zach Gallon because in that seventh inning, Gallon hit a couple of people, which you Typically, don't see Zach Allen the whole game had great command and was locating his pitches. He did give up a few hits, but for Zach Allen to hit two guys back-to-back, that is a little bit worrisome. And so the D-backs, Toy Lovello came in and decided to go to the bullpen and brought in Noah Ramirez, who I felt really good about because Noah Ramirez, if I was to do my trustworthy rankings, just based on the bullpen, Noah Ramirez would probably be pretty high if it was a Taylor Widener or maybe a Corbin Martin or J.B. Wendelkin, I might feel a little bit more shaky about the guy coming out the bullpen. Ian Kennedy, for that matter, I might feel a little bit shaky, but Noah Ramirez, he's someone that's been very good for the D-backs last season. He's been very good this season, so I felt pretty good when he came into the game. Maybe he could get out of the jam, and that just did not happen. We talked about on a pod a while ago, like, the D-backs bullpen has been so good this season at shutting down the door when they have inherited runners on the bases. Never. That's why Kyle Nelson was so high on my trustworthy rankings the first time I did it because he was elite at when he came in the game, there was runners on the bases. Those guys did not score. The bullpen the entire season has been very good at that. It was an area last season, the, the last couple of seasons, where once the starter left the game, there was two men on, two outs. The bullpen guy would usually come in and give up a three-run bomb. And then all of a sudden, the starting pitcher's ear ray got jacked up. Well, that's what kind of happened to Zach Gallon today. It was part of his own fault because he did put two guys on by hit by pitches like we just discussed. But Noah Ramirez usually doesn't give up a lot of hard contact, loud outs, and... That's what he did to Jazz Chisholm, where he gave up a double, deep double in the gap. Jazz Chisholm was basically a one-man offense in that seventh inning because he scores two off that double. And then the next guy, uh, Jesus Aguilar, hits a ground ball to the left side. It's deep enough in the hole where Nick Ahmed, his throw across his body, is not able to get Aguilar out at first base. But Jazz Chisholm, no one is watching Jazz on this play. I mean, how could you? You assume he's just going to stop at third base. But as soon as that ball leaves the bat, Jazz Chisholm is not just running to third. He's rounding third base and on the throw by Nick Ahmed across the diamond. By the time that thing's in the air... Jazz Chisholm is more than halfway home, and the D-backs defense has no chance of getting him out at that play um, or on that play because there was no chance by the the break that Jazz Chisholm had, the jump Jazz Chisholm had. He was too aggressive on that play for the D-backs, and he's someone that is incredibly fun to watch. We've talked about that Zach Allen Jazz Chisholm trade at nauseum. I want to do a crossover with pre, uh, with the Lockdown Marlins guy, Peter Pratt. Hopefully, we can do that. Unfortunately, he's in the UK, so trying to line up UK and Arizona time is very difficult, but I think that's a trade. That might be the best win-win trade. That's something that the scholars are going to study years from now of how to do a one-for-one one trade to make it fair for both sides because... Jazz Chisholm seems like a superstar shortstop. He's the reason why the Marlins almost came back in today's game. He was able, let me pull up his line right here. Jazz Chisholm today was one for four, but two RBIs, a walk, a run scored, and basically was the responsible for all four runs in that seventh inning. Meanwhile, on the other side, the D-backs, Zach Allen was shutting down and going pitch for pitch with Pablo Lopez on the uh, discussion with Sully Baseball coming up. He... 
talks about how we really don't see those matchups between two frontline starters of two teams and those guys duking it out going seven innings. And we got to see that with Pablo Lopez versus Zach Gallen. At least that's what we were expecting to see. And unfortunately for Pablo Lopez, fortunately for the D-backs, we were able to get him out the game early because of those four earned runs. And I'd even bring up how David Peralta got the action going. The freight train left the station early with a home run in that first inning. But we came into this game thinking it was going to be a pitching matchup, being a pitching duel. And the D-backs guy was able to go deep. He pitched into the seventh inning. And this overall game, it really did come down to Zach Allen versus Jazz Shizom because Zach Allen dominated those first six, seven innings of this ball game. He was the story to start the game. And then by the end of it, you were talking a lot about Jazz Chisholm. But overall, the story of this game is Zach Allen versus Jazz Chisholm. And the D-backs were able to come out on top. Unfortunately for the D-backs, that's the end of Zach Allen. We're not going to see him the rest of the series. We, we will see Jazz the rest of the series. And best believe... He's going to continue to make a name for himself the rest of the series. I mean, he's got a lot of talent. This is someone who's going to be, I believe, a 25-25 kind of a guy. Maybe a 30-30 kind of a guy because I think he does have some pop. And, of course, he's got the speed. We saw the speed and athleticism on display in this game. So, this was a really fun game. D-backs versus Marlins. I think this these two teams, I don't see a rivalry happening or brewing but I think this could be one of those fun matchups that whenever you see them all encounter the backs versus Marlins because of Zach Allen and because of Jazz these two teams are always going to be linked and tethered together so whenever I see the Marlins on the schedule facing the D-backs I'm always going to have a little bit more uh, be, be a little bit more anxious for the game then I guess because I think they're just a little bit more energy and mystique to these series than you know most people will even realize because most people aren't D-backs and Marlins fans. Most people aren't locked into this series. But we are, and I think there's a lot of mystique and energy surrounding this series. And I also didn't even talk about Jordan Luplo, who came into this game and just had another fantastic offensive performance. Two hits, two RBIs. And really, when you think about the D-backs offense recently, because they really needed Jordan Luplo in this game. They needed him yesterday. On the season, the D-backs have only scored at least five runs seven times out of 23 games. So to get another five-run game, or it might be eight times now after today's game. I should probably double-check that. But either it's seven or eight times out of 23 or 24 games. It's either seven times in 23 games or eight times in 24 games. I actually didn't check to see if the stat was updated with today's game. So it's either seven and 23 or eight and 24. But either way, the D-backs don't score five runs a lot. And when you think about all the recent you know, the last week and a half, all the big D-backs offensive performances, it's been by guys who just recently came back by, recently returned from injury. Jordan Luplo, the two RBIs today, the two home runs yesterday. Nick Ahmed has been super responsible for all the big hits in the last week, and defensively, he's been phenomenal. So it's been kind of fun to see these guys come back from injury and make an immediate impact in the offensive lineup and defensively as well. So we hope the same can be said for Josh Rojas, who I think would just send on a rehab assignment. So we'll see when he comes back into the fold and how he'll fit with his D-back squad. But right now, this D-backs team is doing good. They beat the Dodgers two out of three. They split this series with the Cardinals, and they just stopped the Miami Marlins. I'm feeling good if I'm a D-backs fan. Like we keep saying, if they just get a league average offense, this team will be near 500 this season. And I still believe that because we've seen the pitching performances from Gallon, from Kelly, from Gump from Madison Bumgarner. So I'm feeling good right now if I'm a D-backs fan, and I would still bet that this team could finish around 75 wins and hit the over on their season total. And if you want to place a bet 
on the D-backs hitting their over on the season total, then you need to go to betonline.net because it's your number one source for all your betting stats and sports info. Find all of the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's basketball playoffs and the start of the Major League Baseball season. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and actions. BetOnline, where the game starts. With the spring in the air, it's time of renewal and growth, personally and professionally. As your small business grows, LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find people you want to talk to faster and for free. Create a job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Then add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedOnMLB. That's linkedin.com slash LockedOnMLB to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And hello, baseball fans. It's a Monday. That can only mean one thing. It is a Locked On MLB, Locked On Diamondbacks crossover. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. I'm not the only host. This guy right over here, he's my other host. What's his name? Miller Thomas is my name. And you're the host of Locked On Diamondbacks. I'm the host of Locked On MLB. We meet every Monday to talk about the state of the game and eventually argue about a couple of things. Today's episode is being dropped on May 2nd. 2022 you can no longer say it's only april and there are a couple of teams we're going to bring up that while it is early they're showing us it's never the wrong time to have a surge because do you know what these games count just as much this podcast counts just as much especially if you want to find us at lockdown mlb pods on twitter or on instagram where can they find lockdown diamondbacks Twitter and Instagram as well at creator Thomas 24 for my personal account. We'll look up locked on Dimebacks on both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. And also you can follow me. I'm your pal Sully. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Thanks so much for making us your first listen. We're available on all your free podcasting platforms. Be sure to tell your smart device to play podcast locked on MLB or podcast locked on Diamondbacks. Okay. Whoa. We are recording this on uh, Sunday, as we are wont to do, mm-hmm. and even though we're not covering the Phillies Mets game that's just being played as the Sunday night game, uh, there's a lot to talk about. Uh, in fact, we're going to bring up a game that was uh, a game involving the Mets and the Phillies, and it just happened to be the second no hitter in the history of the New York Mets, and it took place on uh, what was it on Friday night. Mm-hmm. And it was a weird one. Now, when you the it's a it's first of all, let's just take a step back. The Mets throughout their history have had tremendous pitchers. 
Tom Seaver is one of the greatest pitchers of all time. Nolan Ryan started off as a Met. He's one of the greatest pitchers of all time. You had pitchers who are absolutely dominant, like David Cohn, like Dwight Gooden, who were on the team. You had other Cy Young Award winners that include uh, uh, R.A. Dickey was a Cy Young Award winner. These are all people who have been, you know, great Mets pitchers. Jacob DeGrom was on the team. He was spectacular. Johan Santana on the team. He was spectacular. Mike Hampton spent that one season where he pitched him to the World Series. Unbelievable pitching. Jerry Kuzman, Ron Darling, go down the line of all the great Mets pitchers. And so many of those pitchers threw no-hitters in their career. Tom Seaver threw a no-hitter. Nolan Ryan threw more, more no-hitters than anybody in the history of baseball. And yet the Mets did not have a no-hitter until 20, was it 2012 when Johan Santana yeah. threw And I think he's still on the mound. That's how many pitches he threw. And a lot of people point to that as being the beginning of the end of his career. His career really derailed after that start. And one of the guy who was looked like he was putting together a Hall of Fame career had his career derail. Here's the thing, Millard. If there was instant replay back for Johan Santana's no-hitter, it would not have been a no-hitter. There was a ball that was called foul that the replay showed was clearly fair and would have been the first hit of the game. So Met fans always knew in the back of their head, as wonderful a moment as the Johan Santana mm-hmm. no-hitter was, it wasn't really a no-hitter. So now they've got another one, and it's a weird multi-pitcher, uh, lots of pitches thrown, no-hitter, started by Trevor McGill. Mm-hmm. Um, or Tyler? Is it Tyler McGill? Or, I'm sorry, Tyler McGill. Sorry, this is how anonymous he is. I yeah. got his damn name wrong. And uh, I, I knew that sounded weird coming out of my, out of my head. Uh, uh, but, um, yeah, so uh, – well, first of all, what are your thoughts on that game by the Mets? And it was really a weird game where the, the Phillies actually got on base a ton. But yeah, it I mean, wasn't. They saw a ton of pitches in the game. They saw 159 pitches. So, of course, they were going to get on base a ton. They were seeing a lot of pitchers in that game. I think they saw five or six pitchers five. overall. Yeah. yeah, five pitchers overall. And I don't know. How do you feel about the combined hitter over the combined no hitter overall? Because I'm I mean, it's a cool feat for the franchise. And I guess as a fan base, you're so happy to see the no hitter. But it doesn't feel as special of a moment when it's five guys coming in and, you know, gang banging one in one team versus if it's just one pitcher coming in and just complete domination by that one guy. So how do you feel I'm, overall? I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What verb did you just use? Yeah, I probably I as I said, okay. it, I was like, ah. I was like, all right. Oh, all right. Hey, look, at, look I, at the, I yeah, to say, like ganging up, I, I think I used the okay. Wrong okay, do you want? We're I'm fine. I'm fine that under let it slide. Um, yeah, um, look at I combined no hitters used to be kind of a weird, fluky thing that would happen from time to time. Uh, I remember there was a combined no hitter in 2004 when the Astros threw a combined no hitter, uh, over the uh, uh, against the Yankees because the pitcher who started, which I think was Roy Oswald had to be lifted early for an injury. Uh, and he was, uh, and he, you know, they basically, they, uh, they went down a line of relievers. just so happened that they, they, none of them let up a hit. Um, the, there was also a combined no hitter towards the end of, I believe it was either the 1973 or 74 season when it was basically a tune up for the Oakland A's. They were going into the postseason. And they wanted to give 
Vita blew another start, but they knew they didn't want to go deep because they wanted to pitch early. It was kind of everyone was getting their warm up. It just so happened all the pitchers they used uh, just happened to get through the game without a hit. It used to be kind of a weird, fluky thing like that. Um, there are obviously become more prevalent now because we don't mm-hmm. let pitchers go deep in games. No. Um, uh, yeah, I do like the macho quality of you know, we come in and I went all nine and struck him out and everything like that. But I do kind of like uh, I, I like the variety of it. I like it when I do like when you have the complete game, no hitter. It's there, no hitter. And but I also kind of I do enjoy the fluky element of some pitcher who is a middle reliever is listed in the roster of pitchers who threw a no hitter that I find there's sometimes something appealing about a completely unlikely pitcher in the middle of it uh, who is who is throwing a no no. Um, I mean, yeah, it's not uh, I mean, the. You could argue that Aaron Nola pitched a better game for the Phillies. He went six innings. He didn't walk a batter. He did let up seven hits. He struck out nine, nine strikeouts to no walks. While the Mets had Trevor McGill, Drew Smith, Drew, Drew, Tyler Tyler McGill. I did it again. Tyler McGill, Drew Smith. Drew Smith has his name amongst major league pitchers who have thrown a no-hitter. Jolie Rodriguez. Seth Lugo and Edwin Diaz. You know, it's it is who we have. It is the game that it has evolved into. You know, we don't complete games are rare, and we saw that when Kershaw was throwing a perfect game a few weeks ago, which was the right decision, I do believe. Um, mm-hmm. And I, especially because Kershaw's name's already in the record book. I mean, but I like having some of these pitchers. You know, you know, I enjoy it. It's not as cool as macho as the complete game yeah. no hitter, of which we saw a ton of last year. But we also saw several combined no hitters, like the one that Corbin Burns threw. Um, yeah, it just doesn't feel like the level of difficulty is there when it's because now we see the bullpens uh, in modern baseball, and there's so much an emphasis on bullpens and having guys that could come in and just throw hard. So when you're getting a guy going, you know, your starter going five or six innings, and then every dude out the bullpen is throwing 95 to 99 miles an hour, it's a lot harder to get that one hit now if you're if the dudes coming out the bullpen are just complete wizards with the baseball. So I do respect a little bit more the macho one man coming in, the Johan Santana. I'm I'm going to throw 150 pitches. I'm never going to be able to pitch the rest of my career. But guess what? On my resume, you're going to see no hitter. First one in Mets history. And that's going to be the reason why he probably gets into the Hall of Fame one day. I'll say this, though. The Philadelphia Phillies are a team that should be able to hit. And while Jolie Rodriguez and Seth Lugo are talented pitchers, not that ERA is the end-all, be-all, but Jolie Rodriguez's ERA after his inning he threw in the no-hitter was nearly six. And Seth Lugo's was four and a half. I mean, it wasn't like they were bringing out Maddox, Glavin, and Smoltz one, two, three yeah. to throw a no hitter. You you could you could have one. You could have a flare. You could get one down or drop a darn bunt. It was three nothing. It wasn't like a blowout. Come on. We don't bunt no more, Sully. This is twenty twenty two. Who's out here? Yeah, yeah. How about we drop a few down? I would drop a yeah. few down. Drop a few unless down. 
Unless you're, you know, in the extra innings with that runner on second row, we ain't dropping bunts in anymore. But you could say that's the story of the game, the lack of Philly's offense, because their offense really hasn't gotten going yet with their new additions. I think Bryce Harper's been struggling so far. Schwarber's been struggling. I think Castellanos has been really the only one in that lineup that's been decent so far. So really, I think you could say the real story of the game is not the no-hitter, but maybe it's the lack of offense that we've seen from this loaded Phillies lineup that hasn't been able to get going so far in 2022. Hey, this episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? Save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or a car dealership? Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Rock Auto prices are always reliably low for every customer. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in there. How did you hear about us, Box? So they know we send you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com. That's true. I, I think there's, it does hit a, a, another topic, which again, this is not old man Sully. This is something that I think was a unique element to baseball, which I'm seeing fading away, which really, it makes me sad, which is the pitching matchup used to be a huge thing. Who's pitching today? Mm-hmm. What's the matchup? And when you had a dominant ace, like, you know, the Red Sox over the years, have had, whether it's been Clemens, whether it's been, Pedro Martinez, whether it's been Chris Sale, you kind of wait for that game to come around. Or if you have a team where you have someone who was a bit of a, a coin toss, or you see like, oh, well, the Mariners stink this year, but they're starting Felix Hernandez. So mm-hmm. it's sudden it evens things out. Uh, or the last bunch of years when DeGrom was pitching. When you have the starting pitcher only go five innings, and then it's the same cast of characters, you lose that element of baseball where a it suddenly becomes the same team playing every day. I think a unique thing in baseball is a bad team can be a good team if you have the better pitching, starting pitching matchup. Now, I'm, and I'm saying this as someone who's always loved relief pitchers. I've always loved, I thought the relief pitcher was the most badass position in baseball, which is we're in trouble. Let's bring out the guy who brings the gas or bring out the guy to get out of the get out of trouble. When I was a kid, they were called there. It wasn't necessarily called relievers. There was a nickname, the fireman. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, and so, you know, Raleigh fingers or Bill Campbell or Sparky Lyle or Dan Quisenberry were all called fight. You know, the, the Rolaids relief award was in the shape of a fireman's helmet. And so I liked that element of it. Like, well, we're in trouble. Better call in the pen instead of everyone has their structured roles. Just another reason to hate Tony La Russa, that he created the structured bullpen in the 80s, which meant that Dennis Eckersley was always going to throw the ninth, where Connie Cutt was always going to throw the eighth, Gene Nelson was always going to throw the seventh, and there you go. But that also required you have a starting pitcher go six or seven innings as well, so you don't blow out the pen. Now we have I, – I do miss that. And you're even seeing that in the postseason, that it's not like, oh, we get, you know, we're, you're waiting for this matchup to take place. Well, the matchup really only counts for the first five innings, which is why I'm all in favor of instead of a starting pitcher, I, I think I've said this to you, we have the headline pitcher. 
mm-hmm. with a pitcher coming through the final five innings, especially with no D, with the DH in both leagues. You know, you have if you have a kick-ass pitcher who comes in, you know, you, you know, you try to get those runs early because then they're going to bring in their they're going to bring in the guy who throws the final five. Um, I don't but- know. I just. I, I miss I miss that unique quality where the the starting pitcher dictates the flow of the game. I still think once we get to the highest level of the postseason and the World Series, I still think you need those frontline starters because even though we're seeing baseball move more into the you know, have your starter go four or five innings and hand it off to the bullpen. We haven't really seen that model really work to the highest level just yet. Tampa Bay is kind of like the team that's on the forefront of that. And even though they're a World Series contender every year and they've been to the World Series, we haven't actually seen them get over the hump. When you still look at the past World Series champions from the Braves to the Astros to the Red Sox to the Dodgers, they still have those frontline starters that they expect to go out there and pitch seven innings like the Braves are trusting Charlie Morin and Max Fried to go out there and go seven, eight innings last season. The Astros always with Lance McCullers and the Garrett Coles and the Verlanders. They need those guys to go deep into ball games. The Red Sox, they needed Chris Sale to go deep into ball games and come out the bullpen. So I think for a lot of these teams that do win at the highest level, you still need an elite ace or maybe two aces that you can trust in those big games once you get to the postseason. Can they go seven innings and go one earned run and then the bullpen only has to go two innings? Because I don't know if the Rays method of trying to go the analytics and we just need you to go five and then you hand it off to the bullpen. I think it's a lot of walking the tightrope when you try to go with the Rays model and I'd rather just have an ace I could give the ball to and hopefully pitches me a complete game shutout. Well, again, going back to that 2020 World Series where they had Nate Snell pitching a masterpiece, and then it was like two outs in the sixth, and they lift them for Anderson, who had thrown like, you know, like the last t- two weeks every single day, and he was gassed. And and I remember I sent out a tweet the minute they took Snell out. I said, congratulations to the Los Angeles Dodgers for winning the World Series because mm-hmm. everybody knew what was going to happen next. So, you know, I, I understand – you know, not, you know, this is especially like this early in the season. Like we didn't have a full spring training. We all know that. And so that's one of the reasons why Kershaw didn't go beyond the seventh inning. And and I have no problem with uh, the Mets. I mean, he threw, McGill threw 88 pitches in five innings. Now, he wasn't going to throw a complete game. And the fact of the matter is, you know, the, the Mets got the no hitter. But the more important thing is they beat a division rival. And they're continuing to put their stake in the ground that, yes, indeed, this is their division. to It's their division to lose. And, you know, with that in mind, just sort of, you know, for the lack of a better term, it sort of makes the knowing that the Mets have a rotation where, you know, Carrasco, he, he got shelled his last start, but he pitched really well recently. Scherzer mm-hmm. is Matt Scherzer. Bassett's been terrific. I mean, their, their entire the entire depth they have on the team Something like this can make the Mets just a surefire bet to get to the postseason this year. That's it for this edition of the Lockdown Dimebacks podcast. Shout out to everyone who tuned into today's pod. Thank you to everyone who listened. Come back tomorrow for more Dimebacks news coverage insight. Thank you for making Lockdown Dimebacks your first listen every day. Go make your second listen of the day, Lockdown MLB with my pal Sully, and hopefully he's your pal too. We got part two with Sully Baseball coming out tomorrow, discussing Angels, Twins, Yankees, all that jazz, so come back. And as always, stay safe and stay healthy. Deuces!